I want to begin this morning for us all to think on this question. As we gathered today in what we call church, what did you expect? Maybe another way to put it is to ask you this question. It's not just what you expect, but what have you been taught to expect? I know that if we polled everybody and got everybody up here and said, here's what I brought, here's what came with me, this is what I was looking for today, our answers would be varied. Some would be here this morning expecting maybe just a word of blessing somebody to speak some encouragement, maybe the Bible to inspire them. Maybe you just came today hoping to see another person that brings you hope. Maybe you just wanted a moment of peace, a time where you could worship God, a time where you could pray and maybe lay something down. Probably several of us came today wanting deep down just to be reminded of the story of the traditions that maybe when we were younger built our faith. I would believe and I, and I assume that for the most part, the expectations we bring and I believe also for the expectations that we've been taught to bring are for the most part good and they're pure of heart and they're innocent. I think what they reveal about us is a deep desire to know God and his will. Our expectations, though, can only become a problem like the woman at the well when they become inflated or when our expectations become demanded. When it's, this has to happen in order for me to do this. This must take place in order for me to feel this or believe that. So what did you expect this morning? What have you been taught to expect? But really, more importantly, the question we're going to look at today is, what should we expect? I don't think we can help expecting something. But this, store, this question is going to center us and focus us this morning. Because we gather together and we call this time church and, and we have expectations and we think about it and we have all kinds of background and baggage that we bring to these moments. So today we're going to take a little journey on being church, talking about being church, and digging deep into what it looks like when we worship. What does the assembly look like? What's the gathering of God's people supposed to look like? What should we expect? And we're going to go to the source for it. The one who can answer this best. We're going to get that best answer from Jesus. Let's pray together as we get started this morning. Father, please come and be among us. In our midst, working, transforming, changing doing your best work. And Father, also we ask that we please will be giving you our best, responding to your presence, not just taking it for granted 
and going through the motions, but to be here. And I know you're already here, Father. I've heard you in the voices of, our, of my brothers and sisters, and I've seen you in the communion of the broken body and the blood. Father, we lift you high. And Father, may we give you space now as we jump into your word and we hear from your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So the clearest and most detailed teaching about what worship should be like, what we should expect, and what the gathering of Christians should look like is found in John chapter 4, the video you just saw. It happens in a moment when Jesus by himself sends the disciples off and then he sits down and has this dialogue with the Samaritan woman as he sits at a well in a foreign land in a place he's not supposed to be. And for us today, while this story is layered and dense, we're going to focus in starting in John four nineteen. There's many things we could say about the conversation that happens between Jesus and this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But we're going to focus on a section where the conversation begins to shift as Jesus has now revealed he is the living water. And she's starting to figure out who he is. And she has a question. She has a question about worship, about gathering, about what it means to approach God. And we'll pick it up in John 4, 19 through 24. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So he's just told her, you have five previous husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. But because he's revealing this thing and she is talking to a Jewish man and a Jewish man's not supposed to do this, she is going to bring up a big theological question. So she says to him, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, Mount Samaria, Mount Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't you want to be a true worshiper? Amen? Man, I read that, and the first thing that that strikes me in that passage is I want to just say, God, I want to worship in truth and in spirit. And I know you're with me. And Jesus here in this passage is speaking about a people, a day coming that he says has now come and he's pointing to the new age that is in him, the kingdom being near in which a time is now here where true worshipers, are not going to worship on a mountain or worship over here on this other mountain, but they're going to worship in spirit and truth. Now this statement made by Jesus about what true worshipers are is in response to the question or the statement made by the woman. 
this theological debate that was going on about where was the right place to worship? How is the right place to worship? Is it Jerusalem and Mount Moriah or is it Samaria and Mount Gerizim? Now that statement, you need to know, is heavy with baggage. That woman, as she came to the well and opened up that, is opening up a big bag of luggage. There's a context and framework that is happening behind this conversation. And what that baggage is, is not just a decades-long, but a centuries-long worship war between Samaritans and Jews. And the war of words, mostly, was about which location is correct. Is it Jerusalem or is it Samaria? Now, this wasn't the original worship war, and it isn't definitely the last worship war, but it was probably one of the longest worship wars ever. It's good that we live in an age where we've stopped arguing about how to worship. Amen, church? Yeah, right. It is a war that continues today. How to worship, where to worship, what's the proper and correct worship. This disagreement of between Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans still continue today. Jews and Samaritans disagreed about certain things, but what they could agree on was this, that, that worship should happen on a mountain. But their argument was about which mountain? Over here or over there? This or that? And this is the effect in context, the exact attitude that brings up Jesus saying what God's looking for is people who worship in spirit and in truth. It's the attitude, this idea of this kind of worship that the Samaritan woman brings up is the paradigm that Jesus is challenging. Almost all, and I say almost, I could say all, but I'm sure there's something that's been out there that would defy this, so I'll say almost, but almost all worship arguments and wars are fought because we become fixated on externals and preferences. Just as this woman was. A mountain, an external, a location, an external, a preference. And we continue this as we gather. We fight and argue about mechanics and forms and music and schedules and locations and even decorations. And all these approaches Jesus is trying to get us to see in this passage make one faulty assumption. And the one faulty assumption is this. Is we often believe worship is an event. It's a mountain to climb. It's a place to go. It's a preference to be practiced. But what Jesus is saying, and lean in with this, is when he sees and says the truth that what God seeks is worshipers who do it in spirit and truth, is Jesus is proclaiming that worship is first an internal posture before it is ever an external proclamation. It is spirit and truth. And when we start to lean into this, a truth about what Jesus is trying to get at, and we combine that with where I hope we are this morning, a soft and pliable heart. 
then we are able to radically shift our paradigms of expectations about what this means. The Sunday morning experience. Because what Jesus is saying first this morning to us is that he is saying together to be church, to come together in his name, is first of all, together we don't climb mountains anymore. We sit at tables. We just did that. Do you know in the New Testament the ultimate expression of worship is coming together around a table? Over and over in Scripture? And Paul would say it this way. He would say this means that you're in Christ. You are in a fellowship in Christ together. So if we are in Christ, this means that we are here today as followers. If you are a Christian... You are not here today to find communion with God as if you have to climb a mountain to find that communion. Because you are in Christ, you are here to praise and express your gratitude for your communion with God. Out of your communion with God. Sunday is a day to outwardly express the world-changing reality that we belong to Christ together. So this isn't a mountain to climb. It is a table to sit at, and we already sang it. Second song we sang today, we sing the song of the redeemed. We assemble, not to climb the mountain, we are assembled on the mountain. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's comparing the mountain of Moses to our current reality as Christians. Speaking about how we do life together. This is all plural. He says, and we all with, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And let's be honest, many of us, and, and myself included, even though I have told myself this over and over again, we have come to get stuck in a paradigm and in a view that church is an event, right? We just can't get away from it, right? Church, though, is a community. And what Paul is comparing in this passage is he's saying, hey, Moses, when he went up on the mountain and was with the Lord, it was awesome. He came down and his face was shining like the sun and it was so scary to the people he had to put a veil over it. But after a few days, if you know the story, Moses' face would fade until he went back to meet with the Lord. But what Paul is saying here is that Christians, however, we've got a much better existence in Christ. Is that our faces no longer fade. In fact, the more we spend time with Jesus, the brighter our faces get. The more we lean into and contemplate what is already true about us, the more we end up looking like Jesus. I would say it this way. The more we sit around tables in community with each other, the more we end up displaying to the world who Jesus is. Y'all with me on that? So Jesus, first of all here, is saying, worship is not this external, well, we got to go, Worship, first of all, to the Christian is, this is who I am. I sing the song of the redeemed. And that happens 
at its best when we gather here together. Sally Morgenthaler, who's a writer, uh, said this about Christians in America. This is, this is a punch. This is a step on your toes. Definitely mine. This is a sober statement about American Christianity in which she said this. She said, we are not producing worshipers in this country. Rather, we are producing a generation of spectators, religious onlookers, lacking in many cases any memory of a true encounter with God, deprived of both the tangible sense of God's presence and the supernatural relationships their inmost spirit crave. Now, I could read that again, but it's pretty heavy. What she's saying is we're producing not what Jesus wants. Because what it means to worship in spirit and truth first is this is we don't just climb mountains. We're not here to climb mountains. We sit at tables. But secondly, together we worship in spirit, not as spectators. Again and again, let's say it over and over. Maybe we need to start a cheer. Church is not an event. Church is not an event. I don't know how to get that through our head. You know, maybe we need the summer sports camp cheerleaders up here doing it because that stuff gets in your head big time from summer sports camp. Church is not an event. It is a community Skagitani does it this way. I love his definition of church. He said it's kind of long, but it's great. He says, church is the gathering of women, men, and children redeemed by Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, and living in communion with him and each other, and living in a way that reveals to the world the reality of God's rule and kingdom. That's really good. You want to hear that again? Let's just hear the end of that again, all right? It is the gathering of women, men, and children redeemed by Christ, filled with the Spirit, and living in communion with Him and with each other, living in a way that reveals to the world the reality of God's rule and kingdom. So in other words, church, what we should expect is not to spectate, but to participate in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So church, by definition, requires the whole self not part-time viewership. Matthew 18, 20, you guys know this. Jesus says this, it's easily quoted, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Or more closely, probably a New American Standard, if you have that, or one of the older versions, that's the NIV, it would say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am working in the midst of them. I want us to lean into that. Because Jesus doesn't say here, like we think, that two or three gather, I'll stand in front of them, or or I'll kind of be beside them, or I'll be near them. What he says is I'm working, I'm in the midst of them. I'm doing something. I'm up to something. And as we participate together, we open ourselves more up to God doing his work among us. The presence of God... What Jesus is saying here is the presence of God is revealed in the relationships we share together in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So to worship in spirit is not to get some formula down. It's not to go to the right mountain or the right order or the right correct way. The correct way, Jesus would say, is to worship God from a position of a new reality. And that new reality is that in Jesus, we are no longer living in the age of climbing mountains. 
In Jesus, God has come near. The kingdom is at hand. The veil is torn, as Jay told us about, and Danny did too. The wall is destroyed, and the kingdom of God is right among us. So where have we seen that? I tried to think about that this week. and was like, where have we seen that best recently as a church? And I thought a ladies' retreat. I wasn't there, but I thought a ladies' retreat. You guys are like... Where is he going with this? I was not there. But I know this about what happened at ladies' retreat this, this summer in June. A handful of ladies that got to go, a couple dozen, maybe three dozen, got to participate in sharing with one another. And as they shared with one another, one of our high school girls that was there, Kenzie English, she wanted to be there, but as she got to see our ladies participate in communion with one another and fellowship with one another and worship with one another, she became convinced because there was something happening in the midst of all those ladies that Jesus was up to something. And so she comes back and she gets really excited and she says, she says to a group of people up here right before she gets baptized and right after she gets baptized, the only identity that matters is my identity in Jesus Christ. It was such a statement that Jesus also was working in the midst of that that a week later her brother and her cousin got baptized. That's how that works. That's what it means to worship in spirit, not as spectators. That when we really worship in spirit, we are here allowing and letting and, and moving with the Spirit so that the Spirit moves in everyone. I wish I could give you steps for it, but there isn't steps for it. Well, maybe there is. Submission. <laughs> Letting God do what He wants to do. I love that we've seen that. I think that's what we've seen in so many places, but that was the one that stood out to me. And finally, I want to share this with you because we've got one more in truth. To worship in spirit means that we're not spectators, but to worship in truth means we're not here to complete transactions. When we gather together, we come to worship in truth, not to complete a transaction. So in 2010, Buffalo Bills were in the playoffs. Football kicks off, NFL kicks off today, I guess. So we'll have a football analogy here. So in, in, in 2010, the Buffalo Bills lost an overtime playoff game to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the loss, although you can't blame it all on one person, this was one of those games where the game would have been won if one person would have done a little bit better. The loss came at the hands of wideout for the Buffalo Bills, Steve Johnson. Not the carpenter who lives here in town, but Steve Johnson, the wide receiver. Johnson dropped in overtime what would have been the game-ending touchdown in the end zone. He was distraught after the game. And immediately after the game, Steve Johnson took to his Twitter and tweeted out, not speaking to his audience of followers, but he tweeted out a tweet speaking to God, and he said the following. His tweet said, I praise you 24-7, and this is how you treat me? You expect me to learn from this? I will never forget this, ever. Now, no disrespect to 
Mr. Johnson. We've all had moments where we've probably have misused our theology in a poor way, and this was definitely one of them. But what Steve Johnson here was talking about was not Christianity. He was talking about paganism. That God somehow had to complete a transaction because he had praised him enough. That's paganism. Read any old creation myth story from ancient Babylon, ancient Samaria, anything like that. Even read ancient myths of Greece and Rome, and they all have one thing in common. Any myth of gods with a little g, they all have the same story. And that story is humans were created because the gods wanted them to serve them. The gods needed temples and they needed food and they needed sacrifice to appease them. And if the humans didn't do that, it would lead to death and destruction and floods and fury. The Bible comes along, though, and gives a totally different way of looking at Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim of the Bible. The Bible comes along and goes, you know what, God isn't to be worshipped because he's trying to complete a transaction. If you bring this, then this will happen. The worship of God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same God, is worship, not for transaction, but out of relationship. Look at these passages. These passages speak directly to ancient paganism. Psalm 50, verse 12, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) In other words, I don't need your food. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Isaiah 66, 1 prophesies on behalf. And it says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? See, we often start mistaking that this is some special place. Oh, well, you know, you hear kids say it. Well, don't speak like that. We're in church. Don't tell that joke. We're in church. This isn't, guys, this is not a special place. Outside of who the people are that are in it. Right? God says that. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. How are you going to build me a house, right? Where will my resting place be? See, God doesn't need us to feed him and to serve him. He wants us to serve him, but he didn't create us to be slaves to him. He created us to know him, to have a relationship with him. So what's all the point of our songs and our practices and the things we go through and the liturgy we participate in here? Well, it's not transaction. True worship is never transactional. It's never, well, God, I did this, so you better do this. It's never, I prayed correctly, so I should get what I want. We communed quietly, so we ought to be blessed now. No, true worship is about this. To worship in spirit is to do it out of the reality of who God is. To worship in truth is about to delight in the truth of what God has done. So true worship is always about delight. Delighting in God and desiring to be with him. The psalmist in Psalm 27.4 puts it as plainly as it can be. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, that's all God wants. It's not about transactions. It's not about coming and spectating and going, well, that was a good worship service. The worship service is not something to be 
consumed as if it's here for your taking and eating. Yeah, it was a good meal today. Yeah, it's all right. What'd you get out of worship today? I don't know. It was kind of like an Allsup's burrito. It was good for a minute, and then it was awful. <laughs> Treated me poorly. That's not what it's here for. What it's here for is for us to commune together in this new reality in Jesus Christ. To have not an expectation of transaction, but to have an expectation of simply saying, I'm here to be with the Lord. And I have one desire, to delight in Him. So I want to give you this challenge as we close. If you struggle with that, if you're like, Jake, I'm not there, that's hard for me to do, I want to just ask you to start praying this simple prayer. Because here's where the culmination of worship is. If worship's supposed to do anything, it's to help us love God and love our neighbor. So our prayer ought to simply be this. If we struggle with gathering or maybe you're wrestling with transactional relationship with God or, or maybe you're here as a spectator and you're like, I know I shouldn't be there. I know I need to step into a different realm and paradigm. Simply learn to pray this prayer. God, help me to love you and want to be with you. Help me to love you, God, and increase my desire to be with you. We delight in God. And we do it together. Yes, there should be times and there will be times where to discuss and study what worship should look like. But we should never, as we have done, dismiss those things from what worship is. Worship is the body of Christ coming together, loving God so they can better love their neighbor. That's all it is. And if that's not your paradigm for what worship should look like, you've got it wrong. That is the goal. That is the greatest command. And if the way we look at the Bible doesn't flow through and filter through those two commands, you're on the wrong track. That is it. And may that be our desire. If you struggle with that this morning, we're here for you. But I tell you, you want a prayer that God will answer? God, help me to love you and increase my desire to want to be with you. It could change everything. Let's be a church. Not because we go to church, but let's be a church because we know how to be church together. Let's stand together and sing. If you need anything, we're here for you. If you need an elder, they're out in the back as well to pray. Thank you all for being here today.